this over, I thought, oh, I get to put, be put outside again. <laughs> but I've, I've, pre I've given message outside before, so it wouldn't bother me, but usually there's people there, okay? I do, I do have a, one more comment, at least. Cynthia Popoff, is she here? I, I just want you to know that she is a star at Balderdash. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if that's good as a sister in Christ, but I really got whooped. She got 12 points, I only got six. Oh wait, that kind of throws me under the bus too. So, um, tonight I'd like to talk about uh, Emmanuel Mission, Tis Nas Pos, and it means circle of trees. Tis Nas Pos means circle of trees. And uh, before I do that, I'd like to read one hymn. It's my favorite. It's number 530 in the Red Book. And the reason I read this is because this is, I can tell the stories of my testimony and what I'm doing in my life and all those things. But really, what's important is what Jesus Christ is doing in our lives. That's the most important and 5.30 is, uh, pretty much states it clearly how he worked in my life. Um, and it, it's like this. Oh, the bitter shame and sorrow that a time could ever be when I let the Savior's pity uh, plead in vain and proudly answered all of self and none of thee. Yet he found me, I beheld him leading on the accursed tree, heard him pray, forgive them, Father, and my wistful heart said faintly, some of self and some of thee. Day by day, his tender mercy, healing, helping, <laughs> full and free, sweet and strong and ah, so patient, brought me lower while I whispered, less of self and more of thee. Higher than the highest heaven, deeper than the deepest sea, Lord, thy love at last has conquered. Grant me now my supplication, none of self and all of thee. That is my prayer, and that's what he did in my life. I can tell you all kinds of stories, but we'll talk more about evangelism tomorrow night, so that's just like a little teaser for you. But also, it's the truth. Tistas Pas is actually a, a city in Arizona in the very northeast corner, and it means circle of trees. They, they kind of think in pictures when they're talking and things. So, um, and it, it encompasses quite a large area. It's the mailing route that the Emanuel Mission is under, so Tisnas Pas. And with that, we are if you were to um, cross on Highway I-60 from New Mexico, when you cross the line, you drive 15 miles to Tisnas Pass, the city. The city is um, a post office, a trading post with a gas station, and a crossroad. That's it. But then you drive another 15 miles and you get to Red Mesa. That's where the school and a medical facility is. Then you drive eight miles kind of southwest on some curvy roads and up some hills. And then you come to 5047, or you could go 351. But once you get those, you're on dirt road. And have you, do any of you remember washboards? Yeah, okay. And they were like, they had those ridges like this. Well, imagine them like this and you're driving across them. Blum, 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 you know. But then once you get into there, it takes you 20 to 25 minutes to get to the mission. And that's on a good day. And then once you get to the mission, it's, you see off to the left, you'll see Tsetse An Tehla and Tsetse An Nakhe. That's the rock one and the rock three, just in case you're interested. And when you get into the mission, you're going to see a Votech building. It's a large blue double-story building and on the southeast end. Uh, that's where my favorite missionary, no, that's where I live. <laughs> and you're going to see a Hogan to the right. It's a guest house. 
every single one of you is welcome to come there anytime you want and take a visit. And um, hopefully you'll walk away a little changed. And then there's an entrance house. And then you've got the big house and you've got the school and you've got uh, a couple other houses. And it, it's, it's seven and a half acres. And a good deal of it is actually uh, filled with buildings, a bus barn, but then parking lot and stuff like that. Parking lot, by the way, is um, on this end, it might be as high as that pew. And 35 feet away, it might be as low as the floor multiple times. So the school uh, has about, well, let me take a look at this. If anybody has any questions, raise them at any time, and we'll address them right away so you don't forget, because I'm going to take all the questions that can come. Um, let me see here once. Let me open a new one. Um, how do I open Gmail from here? I want to, oh, here, this will work. Okay. I'm going to put this up in the background, and you can read it. Um, it, it it'll give you an idea of what, this, what the school is right now as to how many students are in there and what we're looking for. Um, this one. So it looks like we have, um, I think, about... 24 or 42, I don't know if, I'm read, if I read that backwards this earlier this afternoon, 26 students so far. But I, I'm, we, last year we had 52 and then we dropped down to 42. We no longer have a high school. We have kindergarten through eight last year, but this year we're going to have preschool. A young lady named Ann Moffat, who was there about 15 years ago, I think, is coming back to start a preschool. That would be four-year-olds who are trained you know, the body trained and all that. But then in uh, kindergarten, we had five, six, seven students. In first and second grade, we had about eight students. Third grade, I'm picturing in my mind, we had about seven students. And fourth and fifth, we had about, that was the big one. Becky Knopf taught that. We had probably 12 or 13 students. And then in... Um, sixth, seventh, and eighth, we had eight students. So they're very small classroom counts, okay? A um, little history on the mission. Um, actually, I don't know if you have this book yet. It's called Dinata. And it, it's my reservation days from 1923 to 39. Um, I'm gonna, I, I bought this for myself, and I gave it to a young man that I brought out to the mission to introduce him to it. And he finished reading it, and I thought, uh, I'd like to gift it to you, the brothers and sisters of Claremont. If you're interested to know the history of the, the mission, then you could put this in your library. It, it's really quite detailed and interesting. It's in the day of horses and stuff like that. Well, yeah, we still have them, but not as much. So. Here's the way that I talk about the mission. Okay, we have a school. The school is a tool, but the mission has been there so that the love of Christ could be shared, and that comes by relationships. Um, I went there, my, my two primary jobs were supposed to be bus driver, and I tell people I'm a Christian cleverly disguised as a bus driver, and the second one was maintenance. But Fortunately, I tore my rotator cuff. I also hurt my back. And so I'm unable to do the maintenance. And the reason I feel that's fortunate is because God has opened the door. After I stood there one day and I, I talked to my friends and I said, if I'm not a benefit, why am I here? And the next day, a brother in Christ, Navajo brother, asked me if I wanted to do a study. Would I lead it? I said, yeah. And over the next several months, the Lord opened the door to have five studies with different men. And we go through a small book many of you have been given it. It's called, Who's the Greatest Man Alive? Does anybody know who that is? He's still alive. 
He's still working. Jesus Christ. So I go through that with them to learn how to communicate with them better. Because their culture is such that communication can be quite different. As I got, I found out two weeks ago, I'm a regular buffoon. I'll tell you that about that too. But anyways, so we go through that and I learn to better communicate. We can communicate with each other. And Herbert Hanley is in there. He's 67 and a half. I'm only 67, so he's an old man. Um, Peter Lee, who came off the streets recently, and he's still off the streets, and he's in the Bible study. Those are the two men who go to Shiprock with, along with me to um, share food and water and, and the word of life. Am I doing something wrong? I'm moving around too much. You should mount it like right here. <laughs> so anyways, so and here's how that happened, that Shiprock started. We're doing the study, and, and Herbert says, why don't we go to Shiprock? And, and let me see if I can find a picture of Herbert. Uh, let me see here. Actually, it's going to be up here on our pictures. Ah. This is a, a new thing for me on this computer. You know what? I'll just describe them to you. Uh, the electronics are just too troublesome. I was a programmer and all that stuff for 30 years, and I don't want to deal with it. But Herbert is about six or seven inches taller than me, probably another um, 40 pounds heavier, and um, he has one tooth in the bottom. It's very difficult to hear. He, he wants to teach me Navajo, but it's difficult. But, but his heart is of gold. He says to me, well, Sammy, when are we going to go to Shiprock? And, and we're going we're gonna to tell the homeless, who is the greatest man alive? And this is how he says it. When are we going to tell him who's the greatest man alive, Sammy? And I said, well, when school gets out. So then he, next week he says, well, when are we going to go to Shiprock, Sammy, and tell him who's the greatest man alive? And I said, well, I think we're getting out of school in middle of May, so it'll probably be a week or so after that. And then two days later, I, he comes to me. He says, well, Sammy, what day are we going to go? And I thought... Well, I wasn't really testing him, but if I was, I would say he's pretty serious about going. So we did. We ended up going on Wednesdays, and we make sandwiches on Tuesday and pray for the folks that we might meet. And then we go down, and we'll meet as many, uh, well, sometimes as many as 16 and sometimes only five. When we go, we take 20 sandwiches and waters. And um, I print off, have you ever heard of the wordless book? So it's... Uh, Green for John 3.16, but there's a problem. You know, sin, uh, Romans 3.23, Romans 3 or 6.23, and then red and white and on, on through. So I print a dot, and each week I add a new verse in that series. And we take it down, and we give them a sandwich and water. And at first we just do that, and I'd hand the verses. Then I suggested to a couple of them, well, if you have questions... Um, why don't we talk about it? And we had one person the next week that did. And I think it was like the fourth week, I don't, you know, God just opened the door and there were 11 people in this one area. And we pulled up, I rolled my cooler over there and Herbert's there and he knows some of them. And they were sitting on this concrete embankment by this gas station. And I sat down and I gave them all the papers and we started going through them, and they were all listening. You know, it was, I thought, Lord, this is a special time because I'm not of the vent that a person makes a decision the first time necessarily, and if they do, I have to ask myself, what did they base it on for the most part? I, mean, I know God can do that and work through it, but I'm more of a long-term relationship, um, like with Andrew and Nathan, and as you were saying with a friend from high school, the commitment and the length 
that's something that we may not have at Shiprock. So I look at it as a seed planting ministry and maybe a watering ministry for some who have heard previously. And Herbert, they are drawn to him. The first week that we were there, he met uh, two folks. One of them was a gal who he'd worked with before. And she comes up and says, well, Herbert, and they're talking. And, and he, he said, well, can I pray for you? And he prayed for her. And the previous, um, a missionary that had been there 47 years had worked with Herbert before and instilled in him something that was very important. Um, denying your body, saying no to your body, because that's a temptation, not only here, but even more so there. And so he was talking with her, and, and he prayed with her. And we haven't seen her on the street, but we've heard good of her of having left it. Uh, I'm not saying I want her to come back to the street that, that we could minister to her there, but I'm praying that somebody will continue to minister elsewhere. She's a Navajo gal. And then uh, the last uh, four weeks that we'd gone, Peter Lee, who had been on this street, he started coming with us and he's a rather, he's rather quiet. He's working through the, having known Christ and walked away. Um, but he comes out to the, to, the, to the shiprock with us, and he's a prayer uh, warrior there for us. So while Herbert and I are out talking, and one time there, you know, I'd had a group of four or five people, and they were listening, and a guy um, close to Herbert's size, a little smaller than Ricky, and he comes over, and he, he starts trying to over, over-speak everything, and in a negative way, and now, it, it, talking with the Staleys who were there 47 years, I said, Am, is it just a misunderstanding or does there seem to be more oppression here from say, more overt oppression? And we were talking and, um, and he said, yes, there is. And, and just to clarify this, one of the things that we were talking about is that in the culture here, there's so much distraction that Satan doesn't have to add anything in for the most part. I mean, of course he loves it when there's all the electronics, when there's all these things and activities and things you can do to take you away from Jesus Christ. But there, there aren't all those things. But there is an oppression. It's a, so this guy is... He's, really bombastic and, and getting close to me and everything. And I just started praying, Lord. And I'm thinking, <laughs> I'm shaking in my boots, Lord. But just stop this man. Either stop him that he'll listen or stop him that he'll walk away. And Lord, that your word might go forward. Now, I'm, not, I, I'm a name it and claim it guy. I name Jesus Christ as Lord and I claim him as my Savior. And I believe that he wants his word to go forward. And we can pray for his power and, and that there. But in the background, Herbert's standing there. And, and then after it was all done, he comes over and he says, I thought he was going to knock you down, Sammy. <laughs> I said, so did I. <laughs> and he said, I would have stepped in. And I thought, but the Lord stepped in instead. I like that better. <laughs> and so... But it, there, is a, there is a certain oppression. I'm going to step away from Shiprock because uh, I think I've talked of that. But there, there is a certain uh, oppression there. There are three levels of religion there or of things that they do spiritually. Uh, one of them is traditional. And traditional is where they have the medicine men and all that. And that's real. They do. And, and the people believe it. They believe it. They believe if you twist the tail on a horse, your herd will run away or something like that. Or they believe if you eat a snake, your arms will start wiggling like this. And, and they believe that. Uh, and um, I, I will send an account, I think I had told one of you that I would send it, of a uh, medicine man who actually, the other medicine men were jealous of him because he was doing so well. So they put a curse on him. And when they put that curse on him, owls were coming around and talking, and, and they believe in this stuff. 
But, you know, I never saw it, but the story rings true in what happened in that this medicine man's wife got so sick that she was on the verge of dying. His, his medicine man business was gone. He happened into, we say happened, but he was drawn into, I believe, a revival by the Lord. And at the end of it, he, he, re, he recanted traditional Navajo and accepted the Lord Jesus Christ. So he talked to the pastor that had been preaching about these owls. They're telling him, we own you. We're going to get you. We own you. And the, the pastor did what was right. He said, no, they don't. When you have Jesus Christ, you're a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. He was in me is greater than he was in the world. And this medicine man went back, trusting the Lord. And when they were talking, he said to the owls, he said, no, you have no dominion over me whatsoever. Get off my property. And amazingly enough, they left. He became a preacher of the gospel. His, his wife was actually healed. So it is an oppression. The, the distraction isn't there as much as here. But the oppression isn't here as much as there sometimes. You almost, sometimes I would wake up and I would just sense when I'd had a day of sharing the gospel, I'd wake up and I'd just say, Lord, Lord, greater are you in, who is in me than he who is in the world. Um, the other, that's the traditional. And they go through all the old ceremonies. And if you lose your keys, they do a special thing for that and charge you a couple sheep or some money or whatever. You know. Then there's another religious uh, faction. It's called the peyote. Yes, and it's also related to the um, Navajo church. The nation, the nation church, and that one, um, they—it's it, like, okay, we're gonna do peyote, and we're going to get a dream, and if we see Jesus Christ, we're saved. That's kind of a, kind of a, a, a summary of what happens there. However, it's also like, well, we're gonna do all our other stuff, too. And this dream in Jesus Christ is like a, an insurance policy. So if what I'm believing on my own doesn't work, I have Jesus Christ. And, and that's a hard one to get them out of as well because um, there's a lot, it's actually quite an immoral uh, sector of the uh, religious groups that are there. The peyote group, you don't even wanna know what they go into. It's, it's vile. And then there are the Christians. We have a, quite a different number of denominations. Um, I, at, the, at the fellowship I was at in Wisconsin, we were putting together the statement of faith. And in it, you know, you have, who is Jesus Christ? What has he done? What is our response? So he came here, he died on the cross, he shed his blood that our sins might be forgiven, the things which are necessary for salvation. And then I had said, but we worship is different. So there's salvation and then there's the way we worship. And there are many people who call themselves Christian that aren't. But there are many who call themselves Christian and they are, they, they worship different than us. They, they don't hold to the New Testament teaching. It's unfortunate, I believe, that they don't, but I'm not the, I'm not the person who say, well, you don't do this so you're not saved, although they may have made that decision for Christ. Um, and, and any brothers, if I make a mistake up here saying something, correct me quickly, please. One other thing that I've come to understand over the years is, is that, that for myself, 
is someone will ask me, is somebody that I know a Christian? And I tell them, well, only God knows their heart and he always does what's right. So that gives me a liberty on the reservation that when someone says I'm a Christian, I could still share the gospel with them. Because only God knows their heart. He always does what's right. And what's right is to share. When we're Christians, we'll rejoice in hearing the gospel. When, uh, when they don't know, the God, know, know Jesus Christ, and I share the gospel, I rejoice. Because then I get to share the gospel with somebody who may not know Jesus Christ. And, and that's what happens with the, when you run into the folks who are they're, they're on that edge. And they say, oh yeah, we're a Christian. Well, but they're really using that as an insurance policy. So, but that also happens here. Anybody who's talked to me since I've been here, I, if I haven't shared the gospel with you, scold me. <laughs> Anybody here in this, in the here. So, now to look at some, I, I want to tell you some stories as well. But uh, let me think. We do have a chapel. People have been asking me, do you have a chapel there? We do. And we break bread, and we worship, and then we have a Navajo singing, and then um, Eddie Benali is the, is the elder and the teacher in the Navajo meeting. He's very frail, and, and he's, uh, he's probably going to go home to be with the Lord soon. Yeah, very difficult to get out of the house. So we're praying for, we have several young Navajo men who are being um, taught and raised up in the, in the fellowship. And we're praying that one or even two of them might rise up to the level of being able to teach and begin to grow into the position where uh, God might even identify them as elders. Um, I'm going to save only a couple minutes for the school because, um, well, it's really important, but it's a tool. It's the opening to get out into the community. And then, um, let me think. Some of the ministries that the Lord's opened up for me is, one of them is team building. I was a, a project administrator. I oversaw, well, I didn't oversee anybody. I was really lower than everybody I reported to. And, and I reported to almost everybody except the project managers, but was to build teams at Humana for the last three years of my career. And I enjoyed it so much. And it involved asking questions, getting to know people, encouraging, building up, um, overlooking some things and encouraging in others so that they might be strengthened. Uh, it, well, it sounds like uh, discipling, doesn't it? I even had opportunity to share the gospel while I was there in some of the meetings. But on the reservation, I ask questions and encourage and build up. But with the staff as well, there, the, a whole diverse group of people come in. Not all of them are from the assemblies. And not all of them, well, people are different, <laughs> aren't they? And um, uh, who works here? Anybody work? Nobody works? You gotta be kidding me. <laughs> wow, I gotta come here. <laughs> well, when I worked, I realized that there are three major problems, and this is true in the church. This is also true in reaching out to people and stuff. I I'm absolutely confident that what I'm gonna say is true. The first one is people. Can I, you know, that problems is people. The second one is people. And the third one is people. So all you go like this, go, go like this. Yeah, and kind of point it at other people. And you'll notice that one of them is pointing back at you because you are a people. You're part of the problem. And Jesus Christ came because people had a problem. However, he's teaching us and leading us to not look at their problem 
per se, but rather to look at the need that they have in their life for Jesus Christ. And even the people on the staff have that need. So in encouraging them, one of the things I do is for their birthday, um, and I'm a married man, um, so if, I, if a woman has a birthday, it has to be, I never do onesies, it's always twosies, threesies, or foursies have to come over for a meal of her choice. And then we, we have a chat and we talk. I usually, they want to play games, I usually ask testimony or, well, what's Christ done for you this week? How, why have you seen him working and stuff? So we can start to look at what some real things are. And the same thing for guys. And in married couples, I'd invite them over to encourage them that same way. But it'd be the married couples, but then I, I kind of throw up a candle and I walk out and I say, all right, no smooching, folks, just talking and stuff like that. To, to, and then I, I tell them how much I appreciate them, and I do, for the love that they have for the people there, that they would walk there and talk with them and care for them. And over the years, some of the missionaries have been there over 25 years now. The Staley's were 47. I'm 67. I maybe have five or six years. But some more are going to come who are younger, and there are positions that are open there for those folks. And, and we'll send a list to some of those if anybody's interested or you know somebody. So that's one of the ways that I try to encourage and build teams. Another ministry that the Lord's given, he had given me opportunity for two jail outreaches, but you have to do it by telephone. Um, those are always, or they seem to be discouraging at times because the one person got out, they'd made all kinds of promises and stuff that they're going to do and they got out and they didn't. And so it's a heartbreaker because that happens to be a family that um, three of the children were in a school and I absolutely fell in love with them. I, I have this habit that I see certain families and I think, ah, oh, I'm gonna adopt them. You know, I mean, I'm gonna just fall in love with this family. And that was one of them and when this happened, the children were taken away, 90, 90 miles away, to where the parents were living and um, for the summer. And th things are going bad. So I decided, well, I'll just drive there uh, uh, every Friday, and we're going to go do things. And then afterward, we'll have a Bible study. And, and three of them would participate, and two of the children wouldn't. We went fishing. We caught tons of fish. We went to the Aztec ruins. We also went to... Farmington Museum, but it's the Bible study afterward, 15 minutes maybe, because they're um, 11 and 16 are saved. That would be Adriano and Cheyenne. You could pray for them. Uh, Adriano got baptized this spring, and Cheyenne, she's a little hesitant. Her dad professed Christianity, her mom professed Christianity, but they're not living it in front of them. It's there, there are sins that can so easily entangle. One of them there are casinos. Another one is alcohol. Another one is drugs. Um, the lack of commitment and things. But nonetheless, some stability is important for the children and, and to see you know, what, who Christ is. And the only way to do that is by building relationships. I could go out on the street and I can preach and, and, and I can hand out tracts and, and that's perfectly okay. That's not where the Lord's put my heart. He's put it more in long-term relationships. So, uh, and in fact, when I got there, one of the first questions they'll ask people who come is, how long are you going to be here? And people say, well, we don't know. And then they, they're rather reticent to open their hearts to the people. But um, when I went there, I thought, well, this is it, God. So they asked me, and I said, well, as long as I have $50, I'll be here. And they looked like, well, what do you mean? I said, well, it costs $50 to dig the hole in the cemetery over there. So you, you can take what I mean as you want, and that's what I mean. We'll see, you know, the Lord, we, we plan to make our plans, but he directs our steps, but I hope to be there the rest of my life. We'll see what he does. Uh, and, well, maybe if you give me enough money, I'll move to the home. No. <laughs> I've had several offers. They're very nice, but I'm afraid I have a home already. Um, another another um, 
ministry is driving the bus. And so how do you make relationships driving a bus with kids and it's noisy and you got to pay attention and everything? Well, one way is when they're sick, you can drive to their home with a can of soup and crackers and you can um, meet the family and you can talk with them and you can pray with them then too. They're open to that. And, and, and you can also invite them to your home for a meal. I, I always, when people come, I'll ask them, well, what do you like? And they say, well, anything. And I say, no, 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 no. Tell me what you like. And they say, lobster. I say, well, no, that's the one thing I don't make. <laughs> I say, I'll make steak, I'll make shrimp, I'll make anything you want. And, and then you come over and we'll, we'll just have a meal and we'll top it off with an orange Julius. I'm on my 12th version, by the way, of orange Julius. And so I've had traditional families over and um, the, the one couple, they have twin boys and an older daughter, and the daughter is absolutely brilliant. She is. I taught her the Pythagorean theorem. She's in fifth grade. I taught it to her within a week. And Fibonacci series as well. So she's a very bright young girl, and I'm hoping she'll go to college and, and get out of some of the, the poverty that's so prevalent there as well. But So the family comes over, and they love their children. They really do. He, they're hard workers. They're, they're traditional. And and we just chat and talk. But first off, uh, one of the first things I do is I say, I'd like to um, tell you how Christ has worked in my life. And um, I, I said, that's one of the things I do when anybody comes to my home. So, and they, they agree. And I bet you can't imagine what hymn I read to them. Uh, 5.30. Oh, the bitter shame and sorrow. And then I, I leave it at that point. But during the conversation, little bits and pieces uh, come out in their life. Well, where do you work? What is your name? You know, and, and oh, I might find out that Nellie or their Nolly is the, the dad's mom, the Nolly, is ill. So I'll take soup and crackers over and pray with them. God's given me a love for this people that I could never generate on my own. What I forgot to tell you is I was supposed to go to Algeria as a master gardener. I love gardening. <laughs> no, I mean, I really, I, I grow tomatoes that are 42 ounces. And three years of corn on every stock that are six to eight inches long in a 42 by, or 48 by 32 garden. So, well, I don't do that anymore. Now I drive bus. But anyways, when they come over or when you meet somebody and they, they, um, they say, they called me in the middle of the night. One little boy, his name is Trevor, Trevin, and he, he was born with no muscle control and they thought he was going to die before the year was up. He's still alive. He's 11. He's on my bus. And one day, you, you're, you'll see that there, some ways are no different than others when it comes to kids. I'm, I'm driving away. I dropped him off. He's walking up to his house. It's about 150 feet on the dirt. And I'm backing up because that's the way we do the route. And he fell. And I'm looking and I'm thinking, Lord, what do I do? Well, the first thing you do is go help him, right? Well, they're very proud people. Very proud. So I'm thinking... If I go and help him, he's going to be embarrassed. So I'm praying, and I'm watching, and I'm thinking, and I'm backing up. And um, it, finally, his grandmother came out and helped him. I mean, it tore my heart. So I, I uh, was dropping off some other kids, and one of the older girls, she got off the bus, and she fell on the ground, and she's going, oh, oh, like this. And I thought... Isn't that just like people? Oh, wait, that's part of the problem, man, it? People. So I, I had already decided what I was going to do about uh, Trevin. I drove back to his house when all the students were off, and I went up and I talked to his mom, and I said, uh, look, I, I saw Trevin there, and I didn't know what to do because I didn't want to embarrass him. It, there's a, a big clan rivalry and a lot of embarrassment. They're afraid to be embarrassed. 
And I said, what should I do? I said, I wanted to help them. And she said, well, Sammy, why didn't you go ahead and help them? And so I thought, okay. And um, the next morning I talked to that girl. I get off the bus and talk to him. And I said, look, I want to talk to you private here off the bus. And I said, uh, I'm so embarrassed that you would even do that. Here's a young person, and why would you do that? I said, don't do that again, please. And I left it at that. I didn't want to make it a big embarrassment. Nobody was out there privy. You'd be very careful that you don't do that. But it was a one-on-one. -on -one. And then it happened to be, I realized that my bus could pull into Trevin's yard and take him right up to the door, drop him off. A little, it's a little extra work, but I could do that, so I did. And, and his mother has often called and said thank you, but the, the amazing thing is at four o'clock in the morning I got a call and it, it's his sister um, and she says, Mr. Davies, Trevin is really sick, he's got a high fever and we'd like you to pray for him. <laughs> I said, well, do you got a thermometer? <laughs> he said, no. I said, well, let's, let's find out what this is. And I have a four-wheel drive, and they don't, and it's night, and I forget the condition. So I went out there, and I, uh, as usual, I took soup and crackers and a thermometer and got there, and we took the temperature. It, it, it had gone down some, I think, but, you know, but it's stabilizing. It was like 103 or something like that, but he's a sickly boy. And... Um, offered to take him to the doctor if he needed. And, um, you know, God opened the door after that where it's very easy for me to, to share the gospel, to continue to talk about who Christ is. Um, a little girl named Hippo, that's not her real name, but that was her nickname her brother gave her when she was small because she was big. Well, she was small, but she was a little bigger in character. But anyways, Hippo, she's like, she's in first grade. And, and you walk into the room, I'd walk there and I'd say, I'd greet all the kids, I'd say, well, hi, Hippo, and, and she, her head would go down like this. You know, it couldn't look at me. It was real, it, it just seemed peculiar. It wasn't even like a shyness, it was more like a, I can't do that. So I, I found out it was her birthday one day and I, I drew a picture of a hippopotamus with a saddle on it. Well, a cartoon hippopotamus. I'm not a artist that way. And I, I cut out her picture from the, from the school book, and I pasted it on there and colored it and put happy birthday and all those things. And it, it took me a couple hours, actually. Made another one that she could color and the instructions for drawing it. And I came in that day, and I walked by her, and I put it in front of her, and I walked over, and I looked over my shoulder, and she's about smiling like this. And ever since, she says, Mr. Davies, come sit here. And she accepted Jesus Christ, not by my leading, but her teacher's. But I think that any seed and any watering is important. A kindness can go a long way, no matter who it is. She got pulled out of school in last January and sent to a, a non-Christian school. And I, I had asked her just the week before, I said, well, maybe your folks could come over for a meal. And she's listing off like 14 people. And I'm thinking, oh my, I can only seat eight. But, but I would have made arrangements. And then she got pulled out. And so you might find this funny, and my, my time is over. But uh, I want to finish this one. Uh, about four weeks ago, I got in the first accident I've had in ever. Well, no, yeah, I ran off the road when I fell asleep one time. But I backed into this car, and I'm thinking, oh, Lord, I hope nobody's hurt. And I get out, and I look, nobody's in it. And here's this guy, his name is Austin, Navajo, young Navajo guy. And I, uh, I said, well, look, um, this will be taken care of. I have insurance, and we're going to go take care of this now. I'm a Christian. If the insurance won't cover it, I will. 
I want him to be sure that he knows that I would do the right thing. So we get all that taken care of, and it turns out that he's Hippo's mom's latest boyfriend. And, and so we got the insurance stuff all laid out, and then I, I, I didn't take pictures. I called the insurance company and everything. Next day they were there because we were having a special event or something. And I said, well, let's get some pictures. So he and Shelby come out, and we take pictures. And uh, I called the insurance and said, yeah, well, I, I damaged the door too. And I got to talking, but before that, I got talking to him at the car. And I said, we talked about one thing, and of course, we talked about fishing. And by the way, I I'm going to interject this here because I think it's important. Um, I really didn't want to go fishing with you. Why would anybody want to go fishing? I want to go catching. That's what I want to do, but it's a, no. <laughs> but so we we're talking fishing, and then we walk over to the building, and we're getting into the shade. It's like 100 degrees, and so Shelby and Austin and I are there, and of course I pull out who's the greatest man alive, and I, was, I said, well, this is a book that I give to everybody. It's not expensive, but it's not inexpensive. I said, and. And if you know Christ, it'll be a nice, pleasant walk with him. I call it a trist. If you don't know him, it'll be a good introduction. And they're like, oh, really? And they're looking at it while I'm talking to them. And they're asking a couple questions. And lo and behold, I had the opportunity to ask them to come over for a meal when I get back from this trip. And I'm looking forward to it. I'm hoping that they will. Because then they'll be in the, my home and I can share with them and talk with them and build relationship. I'm hoping that Hippo will come back to the school again so that she can grow in Christ as opposed to being separated from those who love her so much. And then, um, these are things God puts on my heart. You know, but I, I told people, well look, I'm, I'm not gonna be backing into cars so that I can share the gospel, but if God wants me to, I will, <laughs> you know. But so I'm looking forward to that. And that's the kind of relationships that the Lord's given me to, to work with there. It's little by little, you know, one-on-ones or, or couples. And, um, there's a, one, other, one other little girl. This, this whole pride thing is so important, it, it, not being shamed or anything. And she's five years old and I'm, I'm an old man. You know, I'm on the bus, and, and lo and behold, we're driving down the road. There's no trees or anything, and she says she's got to go to the bathroom, and we're about 15 minutes from her stop. So there's one other boy on the bus, uh, and uh, so we get to her house, and I notice that she's had an accident. And I'm thinking, oh, no. I said, that's okay. That's okay. You know, uh, I'll say uh, Katie, or I'll just make up a name. That's okay. You know, we'll take care of it and everything. And um, and I talked with the little boy, and I said, "Look, this is something that uh, you wouldn't want people to talk about you either. It's it's an accident, so we're just going to keep this between us. We don't want to we don't want to hurt her feelings or anything." And he's a wonderful little boy, and I'm sure I'm going to be uh, witnessing to him more and sharing. His name is Emmanuel. So the next day after this happened, I happened to go to town for groceries, and lo and behold, I walk into Walmart, and what do I see? One of my favorite things. It's this triple chocolate-covered caramel apple. And they were like, five bucks. So I picked up two. Um, and, and I knew why I picked him up, and I knew why the Lord put it on my heart. And I drove back. Uh, I went to the house, and they weren't there. And I thought, okay, Lord, I guess this wasn't your plan. And I'm backing out, and they pull up, and I look, and I see the adults in the car. And I said, well, um, is Katie in there? And, and they said, oh, yeah, she's in the back. And so I said, well, can I talk to her? And they said, yeah. And I said, well, okay. And I said, you know, Katie, there is nothing that you could ever do that make me think that you are not a wonderful little girl. 
and that uh, you are very important. So I just want you to know that nothing that happens can change my mind about it. And here, this is for you. And it broke down more walls and I'm looking forward hopefully to having her family over for a meal so that we could have an opportunity to share the gospel of our Lord because he is so good to us. He opens so many doors and, um, and just in case I've missed something, I want you all to know that Jesus Christ is interested in every single one of you. He's so interested that he took the time to count the hairs on your head. He takes the time to know every single tear that you might ever cry. He takes the time to know every single sin you've ever committed. He's taken the time to leave the presence of his Father and walk on this earth next to the likes of us, despite who we are, enemies and sinners, and he did that because he loves you. But he didn't stop there. He went to the cross with joy, not because he wanted the pain, but because he knew it was the price that had to be paid so that each and every one of us might have forgiveness of our sins. And he went the whole distance. He didn't stop part way. He was separated from his father for the only time and the first time in all of eternity, which was the greatest sacrifice that could ever be done because he loves each and every one of us. And he's given us the privilege that if we confess him as Lord, that's boss, by the way, and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead which means he was fully human, he died, he was an acceptable sacrifice, that if we believe that, we will in fact be saved. We will have eternal life, and that eternal life means forever and ever and ever, and by the way, did I say forever? Um, I didn't leave any time for questions, and I've taken you longer than I should have. I, I want to say also, I struggled last Sunday with thinking, boy, I might just leave the mission. No, I didn't, but I was thinking, I'd love to be part of this fellowship. <laughs> you folks, I'm going to be praying for the ministries that you have, and hopefully the Lord will lead me to pray at just the right times as you're having relationships and building them. Um, it, do I have time to ask or just pray? Okay, Father, thank you for this day. Um, Father, I thank you ever so much that you work in each and every one of our lives. You've blessed me, but you bless each one here with gifts. Grant that they would enjoy them so much that they couldn't help but use them, and they'd continue using them the way that they have already. So thank you and praise you, Jesus. You are Lord and Savior. Amen.